It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone in the audience. Welcome to the program. In the last episode, I had begun discussing Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Today, I focus on the question, why are there two creation accounts in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Without question, the description of creation in Genesis 1 is markedly different from that in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 provides a complete overview of the six days of creation in a step-by-step manner, with each creation day beginning with the phrase, God said, followed by his creative works on that day, then concluding with the phrase, there was evening and morning, and a mention of the numerical day. The structure of Genesis 1 presents 30 verses of the events of creation from the physical perspective with only one verse from the spiritual perspective. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, is a bridge between the two creation accounts giving a description of God resting on the seventh day. Chapter 2, verse 4, gives a summary of The entire chapter 2 and its structure presents verses primarily from the spiritual perspective. Chapter 1 may be understood as creation from God's perspective, and chapter 2, verses 4 through 25, from the perspective of man. Let me remind you that Genesis 2, verse 4 says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Chapter 2 is not concerned with the steps of the overall creation account, but rather focuses on the events of the single day six. It includes more details regarding the creation of the first man, Adam, the Garden of Eden and its river systems, God's instructions to Adam for the garden, naming the animals, the creation of Eve, and the institution of marriage. All these details are saved for the second chapter that sets the stage for the third section of Genesis, namely the fall of mankind and the curse of sin, both of which happened in the Garden of Eden. The second chapter does not attempt to mention the important creation events from the first chapter, such as the creation of earth, atmosphere, oceans, sea creatures, land, and the sun, moon, and stars. 
What this implies is that chapter 2 is not attempting to give a second account of the whole of creation, but to amplify and complement what was given in chapter 1. Nevertheless, many biblical scholars believe Genesis 2 verses 4 to 25 contradicts the first creation story in Genesis chapter 1. I have said that the idea of contradiction can be traced back to 1753 when Jean Lestruc, a French medical doctor, wrote a commentary on Genesis that ultimately undermined the credibility of the Bible regarding creation. Astruc claimed that when Genesis chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 part A said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and God made the beast of the earth, that meant that God created animals before man was created in chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. Then Astruc observes that in chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Some versions of the Bible say man became a living soul. Then in chapter 2, verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Astruc interprets that to mean that God formed the animals after the creation of man. And thus he thinks there is a contradiction between the two chapters. Within a few decades after Astruc's ideas began circulating, Johann Eichhorn came to the same conclusions as Astruc. Eichhorn's theological colleagues in Germany, ranked as the top biblical scholars in the world in the 1800s, used the supposed contradictions of Astruc and Eichhorn to form the modernist movement of scriptural interpretation called Higher Criticism. Eichhorn consequently became known as the father of higher criticism. From the perspective of the higher critics, they claimed the Bible's creation accounts were Hebrew renditions of borrowed myths. They theorized that much of the Old Testament was a compilation of late, unreliable documents. They operated on the proposition that the Bible can be trusted when it speaks about faith and practice, but it is not to be trusted when it speaks about science and history. They proposed that they would inform lay people what could be trusted and what parts they should not trust. Today, this idea takes a more sophisticated approach. Now higher critics will say that the Bible is infallible, but not inerrant. For those who embraced higher criticism, it severed the cord by which faith had been anchored to fact. Truth now was thrown open to redefinition. 
There are several clear mistakes Astruc and Eichhorn made in their declaration of a contradiction. Indeed, the ideas of Astruc and Eichhorn have been refuted in the published literature multiple times since their day. Nevertheless, the common misinterpretation of these two passages of Scripture remains even to this day. Allow me now to show how Astruc and Eichhorn went astray in their interpretation. I describe their mistakes in four categories. Mistake number one. They make an erroneous presumption. Astruc, Eichhorn, and the emerging higher critics presumed that the order of mention in the text for the creation events represented the actual time of the event in history. I will show this methodology is faulty because it is based on a shaky foundation of this presupposition. Mistake number two. They assume that the events of chapter 2 verses 5 through 25 are contradictory rather than complementary. There are con contradictions only if one views this is a second creation story rather than an amplification of the first creation story of the event of the sixth day of creation, giving further insights to offer much more details of the creation of man and woman, the Garden of Eden, etc. Mistake number three. They assume that the events in ch chapter 2, verses 5 through 25, are time-ordered. Genesis 1 gives a time-ordered sequence. In his book, The Fingerprint of God, Hugh Ross lists 11 events in the order of Genesis 1 and demonstrates that the events of chapter 1 are time-ordered. These events are implied by Genesis 1 and are perfectly in accord with the findings of science. The odds that Moses could have guessed the correct order are 1 in 11 factorial, or 1 chance in roughly 40 million. Ross's list includes these 11 events. 1. Creation of the physical universe. 2. Transformation of the Earth's atmosphere from opaque to translucent, where light could pass through but not reveal detailed shapes. Third, formation of a stable water cycle. Fourth, establishment of continents and oceans. Fifth, production of plants on the continents. Sixth, translation of the atmosphere of the earth from translucent to transparent. The sun, moon, and stars became visible for the first time. Seventh, production of small sea animals. Eighth, creation of sea mammals. In Hebrew, this is what is called nephesh, and mammals are vertebrate animals. Ninth, creation of birds possibly at the same time as number eight, more nephesh. Tenth, making of land mammals, still more nephesh. Eleven, creation of mankind, Adam in other words. 
Astruc and Eichhorn mistakenly presumed that the second chapter follows the same time order sequence as the first chapter. So they presume that the order of mention for the creation of events in chapter 2, verses 5 to 25, represented the intended chronology of the text. There are simply no indications that the words of chapter 2, verses 5 to 25 are arranged according to the time order. Mistake number four, they misunderstand the implications of the Hebrew verb tenses. The tenses of Hebrew verbs refutes their assumption of time order in chapter 2, verses 5 to 25. In English, tenses of verbs indicate the time of an action in relation to the time of the speaking or writing about that action. English has three simple tenses, past, present, and future, and three perfect tenses, past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect. The past perfect tense consists of a past participle preceded by the word had. The past perfect tense in English language is used for an action already completed by the time of another past action or for an action at some specific time in the past. Astruc and Eichhorn interpreted chapter 2, verse 19, about the creation of animals after that of chapter 2, verse 7, for the creation of man. Many versions of the Bible use only the simple past tense formed in Genesis 2, verse 19, regarding the formation of animals of the field. But in terms of English grammar, 2 verse 19, there is the possibility that these animals were formed at some specific time previous to Adam being formed. In particular, 2 verse 19 in the NIV says the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. In the NIV case, the English verb had formed tells us the action is in the past perfect tense. That would seem to strengthen the possibility that the formation of the animals of the field could have happened before that of Adam's formation. Nevertheless, Astruc and Eichhorn can't seem to entertain the idea of giving up on their claim of a contradiction. But the time of the action in 2, verse 19, is even clearer in the Hebrew. Hebrew verbs are not expressed in tense like English verbs. As I understand it, in Hebrew, verbs have three forms very distinct from our English tenses. There is a form of a command, do this, do that. That, you might say, is the imperative form. We have that in English language. There is a form of action that has been completed sometime in the past. That is the perfect form in Hebrew. That is the same as the English past perfect. The final form for action that is not yet complete. This is the imperfect form. So the action of creating the animals could have been prior to the creation of men. 
But the text here is simply ambiguous in telling us when these creatures were formed relative to the creation of man. So, were the animals created after Adam? No, I think not. The verse 19 of chapter 2 is simply stating the source and origin of the animal kinds which were formed out of the ground and spoken into existence by God. In Hebrew, the precise tense of a verb is determined by the context. Genesis 1 makes it clear that the animals were created before Adam. So in that case, Hebrew scholars would have understood the verb formed to mean had formed or having formed, which is how some Bible translations state the passage. The New International Version, English Standard Version, including Tyndale's translation, which predates the King James Version. In Hebrew, the action in 2 verse 19 is in the second form, action that is completed sometime in the past, the perfect form, that is. Thus, if we factor in the context of Genesis 1, then Genesis 2 verse 19 can be understood as saying, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. So we are still left with an ambiguity. You might say that this is unfortunate. It would have been great if the author had explicitly told us. I take it that Moses is the author of both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, like the rest of the Pentateuch. Also, I think Moses does tell us explicitly when the creatures were formed. In Genesis Chapter 1, 24 and 27, on the sixth creation day, before that of the creation of man. In terms of the context of ch chapter 1, the apparent contradiction with Genesis 1, 26 and 27 disappears completely. The additional details in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25, demonstrate several things. First, the account confirms Genesis 1 in every way. Second, these two chapters complement each other, with each chapter supplying important details not in the other. In fact, these are not really two different contradictory creation accounts, but instead are complementary accounts. Third, looking at it in this way, the two chapters of Genesis provide a cohesive, coherent and detailed account of creation. These chapters were produced by the author, cited by Jesus, and referred to as authoritative by the New Testament authors. I close this episode by reminding you, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.